Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. For this week's episode of The Kettle is Hot, I am joined by my guest, Lucas Wolfert. <laughs> Lucas uses she, her pronouns, is a 26-year-old proud trans woman and a badass New Englander who is currently living in Florida. So, (laughs) welcome. Thank you so much for recording with me today. I'm so excited to talk to you. It's been... No problem. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited we get to do this. Me too. So, Lucas and I met many moons ago. (laughs) Years ago. (laughs) I probably... I had to be probably like 22 when I met you. I feel like it was like right after Beck and I graduated college. So I had to be like that summer. And we met at my friend, at our friend Kat's <laughs> house party. And Lucas just reminded me that I was belting out Adele at this house party, which is very on brand. So yeah, it immediately made me gravitate towards her because I was like, anyone who is in the middle of a house party, like raging house party, belting Adele at the top of her lungs. I was like, that's someone I'm going to be getting along with. And that's someone I already love. So <laughs> it was like a match made in heaven. I like knew I instantly vibed with you. So. And now here we are, which is wild. It's like, what, 10, 8, 10 years later? I'm like, oh my God, time. <laughs> so crazy. It, it honestly feels like yesterday, but I know. we are. Wait, so how long have you lived in Florida? So I just moved down here um, in January. <laughs> I was hoping to get, you know, the new start, new, you know, fresh chapter of my life. And, you know, a global pandemic happened, which wasn't really on anyone's radar. So um, just trying to make the most of it. But I've been really enjoying myself. I kind of refer to myself as like a Southern Yankee because I'm in the southernmost state now, but I'm still very much a New Englander. So. Yeah, I find it funny, like being in Texas, I've been here for four years now, and I still tell myself like, I am a New Englander, but raised by Southerners. So like, I have like East Coast moxie with like Southern Bell roots, because like my family's all from like, Texas, Mississippi, Louisiana, North Carolina. It's like, I grew up with like Southerners. (laughs) But growing up in New England, and living now in a Southern state, like, what a culture shock that was for me of like being very direct, and how people in the South are like very passive. I'm just like, okay. (laughs) Down here I find are a little bit softer with the way they address things and the way they um, kind of approach different issues and different topics. And I've learned that being from New England, we're just very blunt people and we just say it like it is and there's no beating around the bush. And it kind of is just shocking to some people um, down here, but you know, it's who we are. It's it's how I was raised. (laughs) 
I always tell people like it's just refreshing for y'all. You're just you're just not used to it yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And New England is definitely um an acquired taste. <laughs> Especially if you think about like Connecticut being like not only in New England, but then also like in the tri-state area of New York and New Jersey. Like we are just like <laughs> the the precipice of, of brashness. So you're welcome. That's <laughs> yeah, we're an insane group of people, but we're really fun and we're good hearted. So <laughs> we're very fun, we're very honest. You'll never have to guess how we feel. Uh we're always pretty much down for anything. So yeah. I view those as all positive things. So. Same. Same. Well, I'm very excited to talk to you today about this topic, specifically in give, get, getting your perspective on everything going on. Um, as you know, The Kettle is Hot has been about mostly Black Lives Matter and allyship and how people are really showing up during this time, especially with the rejuvenation around BLM, but then also with you having your perspective as a trans woman and you bringing this topic to me of like, where do you fall in line with that? What does that mean for other trans people, people of color, um, the LGBTQA plus community in conjunction with Black Lives Matter? With me being a queer Black woman, talking to people a lot about that lately, of like the intersection that I play and how even as a Black woman, I am expected to show up for everyone and hope that someone shows up for me. And then also adding my queerness in of like, not only do I have to show up for all people who are Black, all people who are women, and now everyone who is queer and falls in line on that community at all, like I have to show up as an ally for them. So I'm very excited to talk to you about this today. So yeah. yeah. I'm really excited too. I think it's a long overdue topic and I feel like no one really addresses it and no one really speaks a lot from their own experience. So I'm, I'm really happy to be able to do that today. Yeah. Well, you go ahead and get us started. Like what, what made you want to talk about this? Because you, to me, you do not appear to be black. I don't like to make assumptions. So I think just like introducing yourself a little bit more, like how do you identify? Um, where, where have you been finding yourself fitting into to this sort of movement? For sure. So um, to break down, first of all, ethnicities, I am half Swedish, half um, indigenous Central American. So it's definitely an interesting mix. And although I don't um, associate myself as African American or um, a person of color, because I am white passing, um, I've been given a lot of privilege in my life. And that's something that I've really had to reckon with. Um, as far as the Black Lives Matter movement, I, you know, I growing up trans didn't really know what trans was. I grew up in a very sheltered community in Connecticut, a very small town. Um, we had like a sprinkling of gay people, two of which were my own mother. So I grew up with lesbian parents. Um, I have an older brother who was adopted from the Dominican Republic. So um, although he's technically Hispanic, he is black passing. So um, in a predominantly white community, there was instances of racism and injustice towards him that I experienced being his sister. And it, it just brought me kind of to this moment where everyone is in the streets marching for Black Lives Matter. And me as a trans woman, I feel like I'm still marginalized and I'm still in a, in a group that's very much attacked, but there's no uproar. There's no you know, marching across the nation for it. So it was difficult for me to 
kind of take my own ego out of that and still be an ally because that's where my allyship was needed. So much that I want to unpack because I, I, I feel that like I was saying like being a black woman if we just think of if Black Lives Matter was originally founded by three black women and it was in response to Trayvon Martin being murdered and you know if you go to their website which sidebar the fact that BLM is now considered like a, a hate group or a terrorist group by our president but the KKK isn't is a whole different podcast episode for a whole I mean, different yeah, day. we could spend the entire episode going off about what is wrong with our current administration and our current government but I mean, 45 that, is trash. So I'm going <laughs> to, I mean, we, I, we can talk a little bit about that because I do want to talk about some of the ways that this administration has targeted trans people, um, more so than, um, I feel almost any other minor, minority group. Um, they've actually put in to effect like bans on trans people. So the fact that that hasn't caused really an uproar, I mean, it has, and I don't want to like, discount people who are still allies and still fighting for us. But I feel like we haven't been given that moment where people aren't outraged for us. I feel like we haven't reached that moment yet. And that's how I feel with Black Lives Matter. Like if we look at the sort of, for lack lack of a better term, like you're saying, like the uproar around Trayvon Martin, George Floyd, and the countless other men who we've lost to police violence and racism and women. women. But that's the thing. I don't feel like women get the same amount of level. Like the fact that Breonna Taylor's murders are still walking around free. We still don't have real answers around Sandra Bland, you know, all these other black women who have been murdered, whose names aren't even held in the same light as when black men are. That's been really hard for me and my friend era who was on a couple weeks ago, we've been texting and sort of like have created this sisterhood of just being fed up with the bullshit around how disrespected black women in America are. And that's all black women, trans, cis, non-binary, just all black people who aren't male or male of or masculine of center. And how as a black woman in the stuff that's going on right now, like we had <clears throat> Megan Thee Stallion just got shot over the last weekend and people are making a joke out of that um Tamar Braxton attempted suicide a week or two ago and I just heard about it this week like Mm -hmm. how the well-being of black women and the safety of black women isn't held to the level that it should be and you know the the um Malcolm X quote always comes into my mind like the most disrespected woman in America is the black woman Mm -hmm. and then like lately I just wrote a post yesterday the like of just everything I've been feeling being a black woman and there's a quote from Ashley Marie Preston, who is a black trans activist, and she wrote a whole um, piece about, you know, she just turned 36 or 37. Um, I want to say 36, seven, 37. And she wrote about how she cried on her birthday because for a black trans woman to make it to 37, the life expectancy of a black trans woman is 36. So she beat that statistic by one year and how life-changing that is and just you know just again like you're saying with the with the trans community as someone who is an ally who has worked in lgbtqa plus issues with youth who are trans and non-binary and co-workers who are trans and non-binary and just how often and then also the intersex community which i always forget to also bring into this conversation of you know all these different gender identities but specifically trans who are vilified who are marginalized who are you know, like you're saying with 45, the trans military band and 
you know, seeing it was, there's a student, a trans student here in tech in Austin who had served in the military who lost their scholarship because they are trans. And so they couldn't afford to go to university anymore. Like all of these things that are happening because of 45. Right. And that's, that. I'm really glad you touched on that because I feel like black women have been carrying the weight of the civil rights movement and have been carrying the injustice of it, but they've been doing so with grace and they've been doing so in, for lack of a better word, silence. I mean, they are, they, they don't want anything in return, which I think is so humbling. I think they just want a seat at the table. They want a seat at the table. They want to be able to have the discussions that other civil rights leaders are having. And black women started the Black Lives Matter movement, but you don't hear about them. They're not even you know, referenced. Brianna Taylor is now being turned into a meme. You know, it's, it's, it's just the amount of disrespect for women in the same community that's being targeted that the Black Lives Matter movement is all about. And it's, it's really disappointing because I feel like more credit should be given. And as far as uh, Black trans women, you know, in 2019, the American Medical Association described the violence against them as an epidemic. I mean, this is, this is a serious issue. In 2020, I think by April or May, we had almost 20 trans women of color killed. I mean, that's, first of all, it's heartbreaking. And second of all, it's, but you know, there's no media coverage of it. There's very little news um, press releases about it, but it's stuff that our community has to acknowledge basically on their own. Yeah. And it's I also think about um, Black women and Black trans women and, and the work that we have done between civil rights, the civil rights movement, the mm. women's rights and suffragettes movement, like the whole thing around feminism and Black women being erased from that. Right. Um, the LGBTQA, like, Stonewall was started by women of color, trans women of color. Yeah, like there's just so many things that black women and women of color have done and we are so erased. Like I didn't even know, like when Black Lives Matter first started, the amount of credit that was given to black men and them being like, we didn't start this. Like them having to say it was three black women who started it and we are just here to kind of help spread the message and, you know, you know, be at the helm of getting, uh, getting attention around it. But the fact that like the voices of black women are so drowned out and negated and ignored, it's just, I was telling someone else, like, it's just disheartening. Like, I'm just tired. Like, I'm so tired of being expected to show up constantly. Then no one, sh- and then no, no one shows up for us. I, you know, I can't even imagine that feeling. Um, I'm, I'm tired myself from seeing it and from bearing witness to all of it. So I can't even imagine the amount of exhaustion it takes on a daily basis. Um, the only thing I can sort of equate that to is um, trans people having to constantly defend the validity of their life um, to other people because um, 45 especially, but I mean, it trickles down. It starts with 45 and the executive branch, and then it trickles down into our society and our culture, where we have many people who try to discredit our life and invalidate our life experience. And when you discredit someone's life and you invalidate someone's life, 
you automatically deem them less than human. And that's, that's the problem. That's where a lot of the violence comes from. That's where a lot of the misunderstanding comes from. That's where a lot of the fear mongering and banning of certain people come from. It comes from viewing them as less than human. Um, and I know that that's an issue that Black Lives Matter works with too, because for a while and still today, uh, Black Americans were viewed less than their white counterparts. And, you know, it's, it's about having those open conversations. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things in the work that I've been doing with my activism, not only for people who are Black, queer, and female, but then also showing up as an ally to other groups, specifically, you know, those who are disabled or differently abled, the trans community, um, intersex community, just all these people who just me and my experience of being a black queer woman and knowing how marginalized I am. And I think that's why a lot of, you see a lot of black women who do this work because we know what it's like to be the bottom of the totem pole. Like one of the things I talked about yesterday in the post I wrote was how this, you know, between Megan the Stallion and Tamar Braxton, the violence perpetuated against black women and that's 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 just cis black women of you know we are four times more likely to be murdered by an intimate partner and that increases to seven percent if we're pregnant by them right like just how like you're saying like the 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 humanity from us is taken or the fact that you know black mothers are two to three times more likely to die in childbirth like there's just all these statistics that continually show how just black cis women are treated and then you add that on to like if she is queer and if she is trans and all these other things of, you know, I was talking to a friend a couple weeks ago, of like the, the amount of violence that trans women, you know, have thrust upon them. And I'm like, and we had a whole deep dive conversation into why do we think that is? And I was like, I think it has to do with the whole like masculinity, right? Like if we unpack masculinity and how as a cis hetero male, you are expected to do these things. And we can see the statistics into showing our communities for a long time, especially the black, the black community of you're expected to work hard, never cry, pick yourself up, do all these things, never ask for help, don't get therapy, like all these things that are compounded on, on us. And then, you know, you, you know, they fall in love with someone who is a trans woman. And now they have to uh, like question their masculinity about that. And it's like, no, trans women are women and trans men are men. And in in just how society tries to put everyone in a box and make it that you can do this, but you can't do this. And this is good and this is bad. And so I think it's just all these societal pressures. It's, it's If you think of it like a pressure cooker, there's all these things that are going on inside but if you don't release any of that, then you get an explosion. And I think that's why we've seen this increase of murders of like, you are expected as a cis hetero male to only fall in love with cis hetero women. And so when you meet a trans woman or a trans man and you, you know, that makes you question a lot of things about yourself that you never thought you would have to question. And I'm not justifying it at all. But I think that's, that's what happens is just the, you know, having been a sociology major and studying this and literally obsessing of, why why is violence so perpetuated and it's like because black trans black women black trans people are marginalized even further and and seen as things that can just be cast to the side right and that's an excellent point i mean for me personally i i never had to feel unsafe because i am passing 
for the most part. I mean, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I feel like I am. And that has led me to experience a very different side of the trans experience. So when I make comments about being trans, it's only from my experience because I have not lived a black trans woman's life and I never will. And the only way for me to kind of justify that is that, you know, in, especially in the black community, I feel like masculinity is such a hard line and there's no way to deviate from that and expressing any femininity for a black man is almost unacceptable. I mean, and there are many cultures that don't deal with this well. I think our society as a whole doesn't deal with the idea of a feminine man being acceptable. But I think in the black community, it is so hard-lined. Um, like you were saying, you know, straight from birth. It's like, you're a man, you have to do this. You have to act like this. You can't like these people. You can't dress this way. And I feel like culturally there has to be some sort of break because you know it leads to violence against women it leads to violence against trans women it leads to all of these feelings bubbling up and then because of repressed emotions because of repressed um personality traits they explode in anger because that's what repression does. Repression and oppression lead to violence, anger, and depression. So I think it's just, you know, it's, it's something that really needs to change culturally um, as a whole, but definitely in the Black community, if th- we're going to move forward on a scale of saying Black Lives Matter, it needs to be all Black Lives Matter. It can't just be, you know, the right type of Black lives. And I say that in the most sincere and non-offensive way possible. I, you know, again, I am white passing. I am not by any means part of the African-American um, culture or society, but from an ally's point of view, you can't have your cake and then take it away from someone else. If you're going to march in the streets for black lives, it needs to be for all black lives. Yeah, that's a friend and I had had a call yesterday. We we're talking about that of like literally we mean all Black Lives Matter. And I think right now in society, like having people like Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union who are raising their child who is trans and the example of that is setting right now and the uproar that that caused at first and Dwayne Wade being like, this is my kid. And if me accepting and loving my kid means that my kid stays on this earth and they do not die by suicide or violence, then I'm going to do what I need to do to protect my child. And I think that was, especially for a black man to say that, because that's like the, the centralized voice in the black community is usually black men. And so, and then also with his amount of fame and, you know, the status that he has and same with Gabrielle Union and them really setting that example of like, it is not hard to love a black trans kid. No, it's not hard to love any trans kid. It's right. really um, expressing love to, and you know, again, how we identify is how we identify, but it shouldn't even matter if they're trans or not. If they're your child, you should have unconditional love for them. Um, whether or not they decide to go on the journey of transitioning, whether or not they explore different types of sexualities, that is their journey. Your, your main objective as a parent is to love and support your child. And if 
you're not prepared to do that, then you shouldn't be prepared to have children. Yeah, I, I think about that often. Uh, especially me, who I will probably end up adopting kids and having worked with children for a long time, I'm just like, I have never understood a parent who's like, yeah, like my kid was queer, so I stopped talking to them. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like, yeah, I, I, I think about that often of just like how easy it is to just love your kid. And, and I think an example of this is when my godbrother came out, um, my godmother had a tough time and it wasn't because he was gay and her and I have talked about this. She was, you just as a parent expect, have, have a preconceived expectation of what your kid's life would look like. They are going to be straight because straight is the default. They're going to be cis because cis is the default. They're going to get married because that is the default. And they're going to have like this specific sort of life. And so I think about it from time to time about like from a parent's perspective of like how terrifying that is that you thought your kid's life was going to go one way and now you have to worry about their safety way more. I think as, you know, as we get older and turn into adults, our parents are like, okay, they're going to be okay. Like we've done what we can. We've protected them. We've, we've, we've given them the tools, but then like, we sort of like quote throw a wrench in the plan if you will and so it's like just like that whole worrying again of like okay my kid is a great person but now there's going to be someone in that world who you know as a black person it's already the the racism we have to face and then now you're facing homophobia transphobia all the other sort of negative connotations that come upon you because you are not white and cis and all these other things so I mean as a parent I'm just I mean as a not as someone who is not a parent, I can't even imagine what, what that is like too. But in the same breath, I think that this should be a motivation to love and support your children even more. Mm-hmm. Because it's a, it's a known fact that around 75 to 78% of trans students in K through 12 schools go through some type of uh, harassment or bullying. That's 78% is the highest percentage. I mean, that's closer to almost 100%. Why are we not taking this seriously? More than 50% of transgender male teens have attempted suicide. I mean, when you have statistics like that, when you have data like that, it should only motivate you more to be a pillar of support for that person because when they go out into the real world, that's the real world they're facing. So when they come back into your home, they should only be shown love and support. There shouldn't be any sort of judgments. Um, And I was lucky enough to receive that love and support from my own parents, but I know my experience is far different than a lot of trans um, people in this country. And it breaks my heart because I grew up in a loving family. I, of course, was faced with some adversity outside of my home, but I always had a home to go back to. And the fact that not everyone has that same experience is really disheartening. And I think on a societal level, that's where we need to have some more empathy and compassion because we, we lift each other up all the time. We do dedication posts to celebrities. We do dedication posts to whoever, famous people in history. Google makes a page about it. We need to start supporting the people who are underrepresented, who are marginalized, and who are picked on. That's the people we need to be lifting up right now. <laughs> I don't want to speak after that. That was perfect. <laughs> like, how do, how do you follow up? 
I just have so many feelings about it. And this is just, I mean, I, I'm not a professor and I didn't go to college to get a degree in any of this. I'm speaking off of my life experience and I'm speaking off of just being raised to be a compassionate human being. Um, I don't think it's that hard to show empathy for other people. And yet it's something that our country is really struggling with at the moment. Um, and so to tie into the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, the video of George Floyd uh, lying on the ground with three people kneeling on top of him, one on his neck and him crying out for his mother how does that not resonate with you? How, how do you as a human being watch that video? I, by the way, couldn't finish it. I haven't watched it. I, it broke my fucking heart. Sorry, I swore. Um, You're fine. <laughs> it, it broke my heart and I had to stop and I sobbed for a while and I just couldn't believe that this is where we are at 2020 in America. But you know, here we are. Well, I think it's also the whole presence of the police and which is a whole different episode I already had about defunding the police. But but it's the thing of like, whenever a police officer is there, we're expected to give them the benefit of the doubt. And if they're doing all this, then he must have done something wrong. And it's once you figure out like they essentially arrested and killed him because they assumed he used a bad check or a bad or a bad $20 bill like something so frivolous that would never have happened to a white person and if it was it would have you know the the streets really would have burned right and you know we look at all the protests that have been happening lately and the people are like well why are you rioting and blah blah and it's like we as black people have been doing this work and trying to be peaceful for so long and no one wanted to fucking listen to us and so now if the the fact that people specifically white people have put more power and respect and appreciation into buildings than they do people we're like fuck fuck your property fuck this bank fuck this 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 target right like all these things that are replaceable but the fact that black people are constantly killed and then we are vilified when we are murdered of like well they deserved it they shouldn't have been doing this or doing that or like you know well well if he would have told well and then like if 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 he would have known that this person was trans and they wouldn't have done like no don't blame the victim when they are murdered right like it's the same thing like trigger warning when a, when a person's raped like well what were you wearing what did you say what did, like the the whole vilification of the victim and victim blaming i'm just like i'm i'm that's what i'm most exhausted about it's that mentality too in our society that allows for the excuse for their life to not mean anything that's that's how our society so far has been trained to think you know when a criminal gets killed and is killed by police oh well the criminal was a criminal so their life didn't matter um you know when a trans person was killed it's because the trans person was maybe a sex worker and you know when you live that kind of lifestyle those things might happen it's it's not a justification this is a human life and for a police officer to knowingly and, in my opinion, unremorsefully uh, take a life and then try to hide behind the law, that to me is more upsetting than someone burning down a target. You know? And let me just say this for people who claim that all of the protests are rioters and looters. 
I went to a Black Lives Matter protest in downtown Orlando. There were 10,000 people who convened in downtown Orlando and marched through the streets. And you know what? Not a single thing was broken. And let me tell you as well, we were all wearing a fucking mask. So we, there was no destruction of property. It was completely 120% peaceful. And we still had armed um, police officers lining us, like we were about to become violent. And Orlando PD actually brought in an LRAD system, which if you haven't looked those up, research LRAD systems, because they're really terrifying. Um, it's basically a huge speaker that can cause um, hearing damage and actual hearing loss if you're too close to it. And it's meant to disperse violent crowds, but that's been, been used on peaceful protesters all across the country. But that's what was brought against us for us just marching in the street like we're allowed to do because we're American citizens. So when you have that kind of aggressive stance to just citizens asking you to, hey, maybe take the violence down a little bit, and that's their reaction, that to me says they're guilty. And I hate, the t I hate people saying, oh, you know, it's just a few bad, bad apples, you know? But I think we're forgetting the rest of that phrase, right? Uh -huh. A few bad apples spoil the bunch. So if you have a few bad cops, they are spoiling the police force. So, you know, you can't say, oh, it's just a few bad apples without finishing the rest of that saying, which is they spoil the bunch. They spoil it for everybody. I'm sure there's good cops out there. I, I have met people who are police officers. They seem like very fine people. I have no doubt that they conduct themselves in a respectful manner. But if they're also not calling out the people who are abusing their power, then they're on the same side. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, there's no excuse for it. Any other abuse of power, well, I would like to say any other abuse of power would get consequences but obviously that hasn't happened in terms of our executive branch so yeah we had that's supposed to happen we had a protest here maybe like a month ago we had fifteen thousand and yeah. peaceful protest it started at one of the historically black colleges here in austin it was had um it was organized by austin justice coalition houston tillotson which is the university um and then it was fifteen thousand people walking from um, the college to the capital, the, the state capital. Mm -hmm. Same peaceful protest. There were no police. We told them, I guess they told me we didn't want police presence that day. It was like very, very, very minimal, like just like blocking off the streets, but no interactions, mm -hmm. no damage was done, um, which for us, I think it was because it was organized by these two bigger um, organizations. But even before that, like we had a whole the city council was talking about defunding the police um, and it was right after a couple other protests had happened where one child, he think he's 15, was shot with quote non-lethal ammunition or less lethal ammunition and he's been in the hospital ever since. Like literally like a bean bag to the back of the head. He was by himself. There's, there's, there's footage of it and you know, we don't know if he's going to make it. And there was another young um, boy, both of these were boys, both of them of color, one of them is black. He was leaving and they shot him in the back of the head with a less lethal ammunition. But just like watching how violent 
the police were to these peaceful protesters who they're like well they were throwing frozen water bottles at us i'm like you have a shield in the police the police chief like well we are our shields were broken. I'm like, how are your shields broken? And if so, where are you spending all this money? Like Austin PD has a $400 million operating budget. Seriously. If they have money for militarized uh, police riot gear, they, they definitely don't have any broken shields. None that a frozen water bottle could break. I right. mean, you gotta be fucking kidding me. The LAPD budget was $3 billion. That was over 50% of the entire city's yearly budget going to the police, to a police force, mind you, that has had more instances of corruption and abuse of power than any other county in the U.S. And they still get $3 billion a year. And I hate when we have the conversation about defunding the police. Oh, there's going to be no police left. Oh, you don't want to live in that kind of society. It's not what it means at all. So I would suggest if that's your first thought, then do some research. I also have a full episode about it. So (laughs) yes, tune into that episode because it's certainly not the case. And again, that's fear mongering and gaslighting. Um, But also, you know, both my parents are educators. We've been taking money from education for years. We have been leaving teachers with the bare minimum for years. So I don't want to hear that, you know, you can't take money and reallocate it to some place that needs it more um, because teachers have been literally holding on to their money and trying to every single year. And it's not normal for teachers to have to buy their own supplies. And that's a very common thing when you're a teacher. You have to buy everything for your entire room. It's not really supposed to happen. It's because of budget cuts to their education systems to public education but no one bats an eyelash about that well i've been saying too like as a person with a social work background of thinking about where the money could go and you know we talk about like healthcare, we talk about schools we talk about all these other things and one of the two things that always points out in my head is the fact that we have this huge ass 400 million dollars here in austin just for the police but we have students who have student lunch debt is insane to me I hate that. I hate student lunch debt. I think and then, so corrupt. It's fucking wild. It's and so- then the people are like, well, what does defunding mean? I'm like, aren't you the same people who want to defund Planned Parenthood? And you knew exactly what the fuck that meant. Mm-hmm. So this whole like, well, what would that mean for us? And blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, like living here in Austin and it being a liberal progressive place and me having to tell people, I'm like, liberal and progressive does not mean anti-racist. Right. Does not, does not mean ableist. Does not, you know, all these other things that go on. I'm like, there's, you, you know, the woman, Amy uh, Cooper, who called the police on the gentleman in Central Park, she identifies as a liberal. I'm like, that does not mean anti-racist. Like, there's all this piece of the language we have to continue to unpack of, like, you know, you could identify this as this political party and still be a racist asshole and just having that conversation of what is your, like you were saying, what made you bring up this topic of like, what is your privilege and all this stuff? And I tell people, it's like, yes, as marginalized as I am as a black queer woman, I am also educated and I have been able to like have a job and jobs that were well-paying and had health insurance and like all these things of like looking at my privileges of like, I have never been a sex worker. I've never, you know, used drugs and not, not to, you know, vilify those two things, but like, 
the the amount of like you're saying before like the people who think that like sex workers and people who sell drugs do it just to do like no they're doing it to survive in a society that was not made for us to survive and thrive and succeed as people of color and as trans people right like you know, I think who, uh, the show poses a really great example of like how sex work is so important to the trans community. It's like sometimes the only job they can get, right? Mm-hmm. So I have so many feelings. <laughs> I know this is a very deep topic and <laughs> we've, we've kind of touched on everything, but you know, to go back to my experience with the Black Lives Matter experience, I found myself saying, well, wait, don't I matter too? And I know, I know a disclaimer, I know that's like super privileged of me. And I like, I really had to sit down with myself and say, why are you feeling this way? Let's, let's, you know, have a talk one-on-one with yourself and say, why are you feeling like your life isn't mattering right now either? And I really had to come to terms with, okay, so yes, I'm trans, right? I'm in a group of people, a community that is marginalized, that is attacked, that is met with violence. Um, I am not a trans person of color. So I already, there's my privilege. I'm already one step above trans women of color. And then when you put trans women of color into the black community, you know, I've been pulled over before and I've been greeted with smiles. I have been let go with warnings, you know, because of what I look like and because of who I am. And that's just a fact. And the, the fact that many people, an entire community of people don't have that experience, that instead they feel immense fear when they see a cop car, that they don't know if this is going to be the last time they ever see their friends again or their, their families or, you know, that's what I chose to be an ally for. So I put my own privilege in check and I was like, you know what? Yeah, I am in a marginalized community, but right now it's not about me. Right now it has to be about the house that's on fire. My house may have some smoke in it, but it needs to be about the house that's on fire right now. So that's where I came to terms with being an ally of the Black Lives Matter movement and just an ally for human justice. I mean, I feel like, you know, yes, the Black Lives Matter movement needs a lot of attention right now. And until we get justice across the board, then I'm gonna keep fighting for it. But, you know, we still have children in cages at our border. We still have the trans community being targeted um, by this administration now allowing healthcare workers to deny us healthcare. Um, so there's multiple fronts we need to be fighting on, but that's how I reconciled with being an ally first to the Black Lives Matter movement, is I needed to put my privilege in check, and I needed to say, it's not about my life not mattering. It's about me being a voice and an ally for the people that need it right now. I just love that of like the check, like just sitting with yourself and checking yourself. Like, well, you, I, I did. I had one of those, you know, Karen moments where I was like, well, what about my life? And then I had to sit down and be like, that did not just come out of your fucking mouth, first of all. Like, how dare you? And then 
second of all, I had to think really internally and really check with myself and be like, well, what even made me think that in the first place? Why would I think that this movement doesn't care about my life either? And something that did give me a lot of hope and did restore my faith a little bit is that there was a all Black Lives Matter march in, I believe, Brooklyn. Um, I think it was in New York. I want to say Brooklyn. I'm not sure where. But that was a huge protest, and it was very inclusive for the Black trans community. So that made me feel like we were definitely, maybe if it wasn't for every protest, but we were definitely making um, a move forward in some of the protests, and it's at least on people's radar. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I know there was one in Brooklyn. I think there's one in California too of an all, of an all Black Lives Matter. And, you know, I, I tell people often why I started this show was to give platforms to anyone who wanted to come and talk about literally anything. I just recorded with a friend about like all things like Black and nerdy before you. Um, but I often think about how do we show up and make space? Like what how are we using our privileges? And so for you to sit there and, and think of, you know, this was very Karen of me <laughs> to, to have this feeling and, you know, sitting with that feeling and being like, okay, instead of sitting in those, how can I change things? And I think that's what's been so important about this year is like, it's causing all of us to look at our privileges. And, and I don't think people really looked at that until they were like, I have a home that I can afford to live in and I can still afford to pay my rent. And, you know, I have a car that I can drive places if I need to go anywhere and not have to take public transportation. Like there's just so many different levels of privilege that we all have and don't really look at. But I think one of the biggest things lately is, you know, aside from white people looking at their privilege, it's, it's, it's all of us looking at what privileges do, do we have? Because I don't think a lot of people took their cis hetero life as privilege until they really started noticing how affected by this the trans community is so yeah yeah i mean and i think that's something we all should be doing is if we have instances like where i had where i was like well why doesn't my life matter and you have to like check into yourself and be like well why do you think that your life doesn't matter you know why do you think that things are going against you when it really has nothing to do with you um and i think checking in with ourselves and recognizing privilege is the smallest thing we could do right now. Um, just to kind of keep an eye on it. And, you know, even if you're not ready to go to a protest, even if you're not ready to um, make those big steps, I think it's an important small step you can do to recognize your privilege and then um, see those around you and see if they have the same privileges as you do. Yeah, that and I've been telling people to educate yourself. Like, I've been saying, like, if you can Google a coffee shop, you can Google how to be anti-racist and anti and not transphobic. But also, uh, after some research, Google can also be racist. So, you know, dig a little deeper. Um, I've been telling people there's a bunch of, if you go to my personal Instagram, bring Brianna Jenkins, I have created like a Black Lives Matter highlight where I made a list of like, black orgs and organizers and influencers who I love who are really talking and speaking beautifully about this. Um, I should probably add a trans one too, like LGBT people that I really love to follow. I will be adding Lucas to that list today. Oh, um, 
But I, I, I think just, you know, I've been telling people too, like we're all on Instagram or some form of social media. Like there are people who are doing this work, you know, going to their feed and looking and looking at highlights first before you ask them any questions. I've been telling people I'm going to start charging the hourly rate every time someone asks me a question that I've already answered in my highlights. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm not doing anything for free anymore. Um, but just knowing that the resources are out there, it's just, you know, I know it isn't, it could be a little uncomfortable to have to ask people um, to have to do this research, to sit in your privilege, to sit in the awkwardness, to sit in this, in these feelings of guilt, but we're never going to get better as a society if we're not willing to do that work. Right. That's beautiful. And I 120% agree with that. And another thing that I found helpful is I am huge into history. So I love to look back on historical context. So I immediately started researching like the Tulsa race massacre and the burning of Black Wall Street and the history of lynchings in our, um, in our country during the early 1900s. Um, and just all of those things and gentrification and redlining of districts, it's, it's, very, it's very fascinating and troubling at the same time, but you can learn a lot from history. And I think, you know, the less, the more knowledge you have, the less ignorant you're going to be. Yeah. I've been telling people every day to Google today in black history, because you'll learn something new every day, um, the Tuskegee syphilis trials and how black men specifically were given syphilis to see how we react to the body, which they were not told they were being given syphilis and then weren't giving a cure afterwards and how black people are, have been used as test up. Done by yes. the government. Right. And how we were, black people have been test subjects for everything, but I digress. Um, and then also um, gerrymandering and how important that is. And like you were saying about redlining, like um, also like the way that districts are drawn, like just really paying attention, especially especially here in Austin, we have, um, we're redistricting, redistricting this year. Um, so I've been telling people pay really close attention to your city council, to your mayor, to the people who you elect into offices quote as small as school board up into presidential a lot of the stuff that happens to you happens on a local level so know who your local politicians are and that these people work for you and that they have to answer all your emails and phone calls um but yeah yeah and if there's one thing you can do that's a form of protest it's vote please vote please 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 vote because and that that would be the biggest and smallest form of protest you could do. Um, do your research and please vote accordingly. You know, the, you know, you can trust a poll, but it doesn't matter unless people are actually going to the polls. So mm-hmm. please, please vote. It is so important this year to vote. Lucas, you did my job. That's what I said at the end of every episode. Like, please, please be registered to vote. God. And do the research. Like I know it is so overwhelming to try to figure out everything that's going on. But, you know, um, my friend Winnie was on a couple weeks ago and we talked about um, her app that she created with her partner, her business partner called Politicking, where it literally tells you about all the elections going on and who's running in your in your um, area. So I saw your post about that. That's very, very helpful. Yes. Check that out and just just do your research and please vote. My God, it is, it is so important now, especially for the younger generation to get out there and vote. Um, we can always count on the senior citizens to go out and vote. And, 
you know, if we're sick of baby boomers and we're sick of that generation's morals and ideals, then it's really time for us to get out to the polls and show up. So, yeah. So I'll be sure to link to your Instagram and everything else. Is there anything else you want to like shout out or plug before we start wrapping up? Um, I just want to say if there's anyone out there who feels marginalized, who feels oppressed, who may just get really down from hearing all the news, um, there are still are good people out there and there are still things worth fighting for. And I know it's really hard sometimes to have motivation to fight for them, but you know, if you don't have the motivation for yourself, think of your friends, your family who might be affected. Um, I say this all the time to people who, you know, maybe aren't planning on voting or maybe planning on voting for Trump again. I say a vote for them or a vote in favor of that ideology is a vote against my rights. So if you're not going to vote based off of your own uh, ideas and beliefs, vote to defend mine because we all deserve a seat at the table. This is America. You know, diversity is what makes us beautiful and we're known for it. So I think we should be celebrating that and not trying to restrict any of that. So um, if you feel marginalized, if you feel like on the outskirts, just know that there's tons of other people to talk to and there's tons of other people who are ready to be an ally and ready to love and support you. I love that. I'm not going to crutch. Um, as you know, at the end of each show, I like to ask my guests a final question. What is the best advice you were ever given? Or what's a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Ooh. Um, so this is, this is actually a quote that my mom used to tell me. Um, and this is actually before I transitioned and everything. So it's kind of just rung true with me. Um, it's a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt and it's that no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And that now as a 26 year old has such profound meaning to me, but it essentially means that no matter what anyone thinks of you, you still deserve to think the best of you. And as long as you think the best of you, no one else's opinions matter. So that is something I've always held on to. That's it for this week's episode of The Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Brie. Send me an email at theteawithbrie at gmail.com and visit the website, theteawithbreepodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to y'all later this week. Bye.